Well, this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, and we're gonna talk about friendship, wisdom and friendship. So open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Uh, you can pick the chapter, because we'll cover a bunch here this morning. I grew up in mid-Michigan, about an hour and a half north of Detroit, and in my time there growing up, God was very gracious in bringing uh, many people into my life to be friends, growing in, in school and then leaving from Michigan to go to West Virginia to Bible college. God, again, was very gracious to bring uh, men into my life that were good friends. Some, uh, to this day, we communicate on a regular basis. And then God, in his graciousness, is moving my wife and I from then Michigan back here to, to Washington. God pr provided friends friendships, people to, uh, to build our lives around. And, and, and so I've had a number of friends throughout my life. Uh, not all of those friendships have been fantastic, but some have been great, but some have fizzled out. Uh, and through that, I, I learned friendship can be tricky, right? They can be life-giving, life-shaping relationships, but they also can be very confusing and hard sometimes. They can be painful and hurtful and, and draining. I realize most of you are not in junior high and senior high year, but even our adult years, we have struggles sometimes with friendships. A friend that you trusted, one that you invested a lot of time and, and energy into now has abandoned you. They have walked away. They seemingly are not interested in continuing any friendship any longer, and they've left. But friendships also can be very wonderful and they can be very uh, beneficial to us. Because of the, the trickiness of friendships, though, we need God's wisdom on how to function in those relationships and those friendships. We need a way to, to navigate this risky path successfully. And thankfully, we have God's word to, to give guidance, the desperate guidance that we need. Friendship comes from God. It's a gift from a relational God. God invented friendship, and he gives it to, to us to help us, to, to grow us, to sharpen us, to cause us to become more like his son, Jesus. And so we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that subject this morning, and before we do, I wanna identify what we're talking about this morning. What is biblical friendship? It's an important thing to, to know and understand as we begin. Knowing the relationship that you're in is crucial to know how to act and react. Um, what are the expectations are. You know, I, I relate to people differently uh, in my life, whether it's my boss or my commanding officer or my wife. They're all different relationships. You know, I, I don't, if I was in the military, I don't go up to my commanding officer and give him a smooch on the cheek. Not a good thing to do, right, guys, the military? Not a good thing. Nor do I go home and salute my wife. That's not how it works in my home. So it's good for us to know what kind of a relationship that we're in. And when we hear the word friend, we tend to automatically think that it's a good thing. The word deceives us. Some friends can be an incredible blessing, and some can be a, a bad snare. Sometimes people befriend you because you have money or power or influence. They, they want to be around you, not because of you, but what you can give to them. Proverbs 19, 14 says, 
Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. But think about the amount of time that you spend with friends. It should be no surprise then that friends will influence you for the good and for the bad. So that means we need to be careful. And the book of Proverbs gives us wisdom on who to hitch our wagons to. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. We should avoid being chummy with angry people, he says. In Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man? We should avoid being friends in that regard of learning from lazy people. You know, as parents raising our children in this culture, we realize the importance of our kids having good friends. And as our kids get older and begin to spend time with other kids, we encourage them. We say things like, now go find good friends. Find a good friend. And, and when they're teenagers, we warn them not to fall into the wrong crowd. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, right? Did you ever hear that verse quoted to you from your parents growing up? Anyone? You should have. It's good because it has an impact, an influence on us. But now as adults, we think that somehow we're immune to this temptation. But we're not. Well, how do we know what a good friend is and what a bad friend is? How can we distinguish them and so doing, teach others what good friendships are. Well, that's my aim for this morning here. That's my desire. We're gonna be in the book of Proverbs, and because we're studying this book in the next month, we're gonna be jumping around to a number of verses, and so I don't wanna cause confusion in that, and so I've tried to help you in this regard. So if you have a bulletin on the back side, this isn't normal, and I don't know if I'll be able to keep it up every week. I'm gonna try, but is there an outline of where I'm gonna cover for this morning? And some of the verses that are listed that we're gonna walk through. So you have the outline already, you have the verses. Um, if you, you're used to taking notes, keep taking notes. I'll have some more verses in there that I didn't put in the outline. But I wanna give you a help there as we walk through this. And I wanna be distinguishing between what a bad friend is and a good friend from the book of Proverbs. As you see there in the list, bad friends gossip, good friends forgive. Bad friends leave, good friends comfort. Bad friends hate correction and good friends tell the truth. And last, bad friends are self-absorbed. Good friends are faithful. So there's the Proverbs listed there. And so I pray it'd be a blessing to you this morning as we walk through this. But before we jump into that outline, let me pray. God, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for all that are here. I know their number are missing because of vacations and time off. And I pray, God, that you would bless them in their time with family and friends may be a fruitful time together. May they think of you often, God, and spend time with you on their vacations. May they be in your word in the midst of relaxation. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come here. I pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would guide us and lead us to understanding of what friendship is from your word, that you would make clear the, the warnings in the book of Proverbs to us, and that we would seek as, as Christians to be good friends to others. I pray for those that are here this morning as they walk through this and hear this, God, that 
and they don't have many friends, made me encouragement to them that they can seek out new friendships to be an encouragement and a blessing to them that would cause them to become more like Jesus Christ in their pursuit here to know you more uh, on earth. God, we thank you for this time. May you be honored and glorified in it. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. So the first, bad friends gossip, good friends forgive. Gossip is everywhere, literally. Check Facebook. Turn on your television. Take a peek at the magazine rack when you're checking out the grocery store. Gossip is everywhere. You listen closely to the conversations with your neighbors as they're talking with you or, or at work or at school, and it comes in these neatly wrapped packages. Like, I really shouldn't tell you this, but... Or, it's none of my business, but you should know this. Or even uh, the sanctified Sunday conversation. Have you heard the latest news on what God's doing in their life? And all of a sudden, our, our ears begin to zero in. And we hear something that we think, I don't think I should be hearing this. Gossip is something that we all experience. And the sin of gossip is sharing bad news behind someone's back from a bad heart. Sharing bad news behind someone's back from a bad heart. Proverbs 20:19 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Gossip is telling others someone else's secret. And it's not just the one who's speaking that's guilty of the sin of gossip. Proverbs 17:4 says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So listening to gossip without stopping the conversation is also sinful. Almost as sinful as speaking it. So everyone can be guilty in partaking here of gossip. God's word teaches us to avoid people in friendship that are gossipers. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Solomon's writing, he's saying to us, don't be close friends with a gossip. Whisperers don't make friends. 1 Timothy 5.13 warns us of this. It says of the busybodies or the gossips who go from house to house or now here in 2017 from text message to phone call to Facebook to Twitter and they want to share the latest, the, the juiciest news. It's people who, who want to be in the know. They have the scoop. They, they have to be a part of everyone else's business. And the proverb says to us, listen, friends, avoid these people as close friends. Don't be close friends with a gossip because at some point, guess what? They'll share your news. Bad friends gossip, but good friends forgive. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And when he writes that we should cover an offense, he doesn't mean that we should just let it go, but it's a deliberate decision to forgive. So if your friend has sinned against you, and now they've come to you, and they recognize it, and they repented, and they've asked for forgiveness, your job is to drop it. Don't mention it again. Because you've regained, you've regained that friendship. 
And he's a warning for us here. He says that if you don't forgive, yet you repeat a matter, it will separate close friends. The word translated repeats means to mention the offense a second time. Just one repeat. Just one time. We should forgive and move on. But, but gossip, it says, brings a division to the friendship. It separates. So God wants us to be careful in what we say. Are we, are we looking to be helpful? You know, it may be factual, but it may not be helpful. And we're constantly creating conditions that we'll be stuck in five minutes from now. We need to watch our words and we forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. Proverbs eleven twelve, another verse says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. How does this relate? What is he saying? Well, there's one person in a power position, someone who knows they are right, and they're looking down on someone else, making them feel small. And here he says, though, a wise person knows that it's not enough to be right. The book of Proverbs often warns us of talking too much. Anyone have a problem with that? Come on, be honest. Your spouse will be honest for you if you're not. We talk too much. And we can be right all the day long and still be a jerk to others. And that's not what God has for us. God knows who's right. And he still desires humility from us. And silence sometimes is the wisest course of action. Silence can preserve our friendship. It can preserve a, a partnership, a marriage, and even a church. Sometimes those that are right need to allow God to be the teacher in other people's lives instead of their desire to be right. Sometimes it's just best to cover the offense, to forgive and move on. And why do we forgive? Well, it's because of love. Proverbs 10, 12, I'll read it again. says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Our love for the other person, and more importantly, our love for God allows us to forgive, to cover the offense, and to move on. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, I was convicted by this again. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This verse in, in 1 Corinthians 13 should, should dominate our relationships. I need this verse. I need to remind myself of this verse. You need this verse. Our church family needs this verse. If you want to keep friendships going, you need to forgive. And we will be disappointed by others in friendships. We will be disappointed by people. There will be offenses, and the, the wise person covers them with love. And we have the example here from God, Psalm 32.1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Why doesn't God continue to embarrass us with our failures. He'd have a whole lot there. He, he could continue to bring those up to us, but he doesn't because he loves us and he forgives us. He covers our sins through Christ. And it's what we should do too because we want our sinning friend more than we want payback. That's the mind of Christ. That's what God does for us. So we should seek to be good friends who forgive. Second, bad friends leave, good friends comfort. Sam Gamgee and Frodo Baggins. You know those names? Two characters from the 
J.R.R. Tolkien's masterpiece, The Lord of the Rings. You know, this book is many things to many people, but for me, it's about friendship. Sam and Frodo. And Tolkien takes off in the story to lay out for us a, a biblical pattern of friendship by showing us the depth of commitment between two men and their willingness to give themselves to, another, to one another in friendship. You know, as they leave in this story with the difficult mission to, to destroy the one ring, Frodo says, well, Sam, what about it? I am leaving the Shire as soon as I ever can. In fact, I have made up my mind now that I can't even wait a day at Crick Hollow if it can be helped. Very good, sir. You still mean to come with me? I do. It is going to be very dangerous, Sam. It is already dangerous. Most likely neither of us will come back. If you don't come back, sir, then I shan't. That's certain, said Sam. Don't you leave him, they said to me. Leave him, I said. I never meant to. I'm going with him. If he climbs to the moon, and if any of those black riders try to stop him, they'll have Sam Ganji to reckon with, I said. And throughout the book, you see this. If you've read it or watched the movies, you find that Sam is that type of friend. He accompanies Frodo on this grueling mission. And through it all, Sam never wavers in his friendship with Frodo. At times, holding him up, literally carrying him up Mount Doom to go destroy the ring. And friends, this is a picture of friendship. He's a comfort. Sam is a comfort to Frodo. And, and Tolkien in this gives us a beautiful biblical picture of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. The siblings that you have, if you have a brother or sister, guess what? You didn't choose them. A fact that you're probably aware of. You're stuck with them. There's an obligation there to get along with them and to love them. They were put there by God. And they're a type of social safety net to you. But friends are different. A friend is somebody, even though there's limited time and space involved, there's someone that we choose. A friend is someone that we willfully and deliberately choose to be around. This proverb says, a faithful friend loves at all times. This is the same type of love that we see displayed in the book of 1 Samuel between David and Jonathan. Jonathan was an incredible friend to David who was anointed by God to be the king of Israel, which posed then a great threat to Saul, who was Jonathan's father. David was a threat to Saul's weak grasp of his position. And Saul hated that God favored David over him. And because of this, he pursued to have David killed time and time again. And there were many times in that season for David that he felt like no one liked him, that he had no friends and that his world was collapsing around him. But in the midst of this trial, God provided a friend for David, a true friend at Jonathan. And they pledged their friendship to one another. And what a risk it would have been for Jonathan to do this. He could have rested in his royal privilege and and said, I, I can't because of my dad, but he didn't. He, he risked for David, for a friend. His loyalty to David brings so much comfort to David as, as he fought for his life. And when you're in trouble in your life, you find out who your friends are. Bad friends leave, 
good friend's comfort. Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. And what Solomon is saying is what people really want to see in a friend is a steadfast, unfailing love. The Hebrew word is hest. We saw that in the book of Ruth. Do you remember? It's a, a radical loyalty. And when he says here in 1922, a poor man is better than a liar, he is saying even a faithful friend who is nothing better and nothing to give financially is, is better than a man of wealth who says that he's faithful but really isn't and turns his back on you. When the rubber meets the road, you, you truly find out who are your friends. And loyalty makes a friend attractive. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he's talking about those who have lots of friends. There are those that have a lot of pretend friends out there. They're, they're loved by many people, but, but really they have no close friend. No one really knows them. You might have some of these fake friends and, and they let you down. When everything's on the line for you, they, they're, they're nowhere to be found. This verse is saying that real friends are not found in, in quantity, but in quality. Many of you maybe have thousands of Facebook friends, and that's nice. But they're not friends unless they're there. As the verse says, who sticks closer than her brother. And when I look back at my life, there are a few friends that, that stuck close to us. When we struggled, when we went through a lot, friends that were essentially closer than any family member that we had. They were loyal and they were faithful. And they were willing to bring up things to me that I didn't see in myself. They're willing to say hard things to me. That leads to the third point. Bad friends hate correction. Good friends tell the truth. Puritan writer Charles Bridges has written for us a, a wonderful description of the friendship. He says this, what is the friend who will be a real blessing to my soul? Is it enough that he will humor me, my fantasies, and flatter my vanity? Is it enough that he loves my purse and would spend his time and energies in my service? This comes far short of my requirement. I am a poor, strained sinner with a wayward will and a blinded heart, going wrong in every step. The friend for my case is the one who will watch over me with an open rebuke, but a reprover when needful, not a flatterer. The genuineness of a friendship without this mark is more than doubtful. Its usefulness utterly paralyzed. When we think that a good friend is one that will always agree with us. They would never disagree. We think that's what we want in a good friend. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 disagrees with that. It says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. This is what a true friend does. Bad friends hate correction. They just want to smother you with kisses, as the writer says. It's just someone that just wants to flatter you. 
If you have a friend who, who never says what you're doing or saying is wrong, then you are either perfect or they're really not a friend. You know, every one of us needs a friend who, who will not just flatter us, but seek to refine us. Now, now listen, these proverbs are not a license for you to unleash your reckless mouth to your friends. That's not what he's saying here. We need to be wise with our words. You know, it says here an open rebuke. So you're going to openly say it in front of everyone, right? That's not what he's saying. That's not what open rebuke means. You're not, you're not a self-appointed critic placed in the lives of others to correct their behavior at a moment's notice. An open rebuke means that you're, you're not afraid to speak the truth to them honestly, but it must always be done in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Some like to speak the truth. And, and, and some are very keen on understanding what right and wrong and, and are able to discern that quickly. And so they go right after speaking the truth, but they lack love. They just come across as a jerk. That's not what the verse says. We share this truth not because we need to be right or because they really need a tongue lashing. but We show them love by gently and carefully coming alongside them. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. A good friend will push you. A good friend will challenge you. You might not agree with everything your friend says, but you will want to listen. We need that. We all need that. I mean, just think of this. Our own family background has left all of us a little weird. Be honest. We're all different, right? So we need someone to come alongside us and to speak truth into our lives. We, we need someone to come into our life as a friend that we can come to and say, please show me myself. Help me grow. Help me to become like Christ. And if no person in this church is good enough to play that role for you, folks, the problem isn't the church. The problem is you. If you don't know anyone well enough to trust them at that level, are you really seeking out a person? You know, in one sense, we don't need any friends. Biologically, you don't need a friend. Financially, you can most likely thrive without any friends. And with your limited time in this day and age, having no friends will probably free up your schedule. And so having a friend, a real friend, one that you can open up with and spend time with, will most likely fall to the end of your priority list. But listen, you will not grow wise without a Christian friend in your life. And I'm not talking about your spouse here. I'm talking about a friend of the same sex, a person you can connect with and pour time and energy with, someone you can pray with. And it can be painful, in fact, and most likely will be at some point because you're a sinner. And you can be friends with another sinner. But the scriptures are true. The wounds of an honest friend are faithful. They will help you grow. It's a loving thing for us to share with our friends Areas where they need to grow. And sometimes it's the most unloving thing to keep silent. 
And when we share with our friends, it shouldn't be done with a tone of, of rightness, but we do it with, with love and care. We, we shouldn't say to our friends, I, I just need to get this off my chest. Not a good thing to say. That's not what we share. The goal is our, our friend's benefit. And before talking to them, we should ask this question, will this serve them? Will this build them up? Just as a good marriage relationship points us to Christ, a good friendship points us to Jesus. When a friend, a faithful one, wounds your pride, it's not intended to harm you, but to heal you. Honesty is vital to friendship. But bad friends, they run from this. They just want to keep the peace. They, they don't want to correct, and they definitely don't want to be corrected. They would champion a carefree life, and they would run from any type of correction, and they would label you as a know-it-all if you come alongside to give them correction. And those moments in our life hurt. They're painful, and they're hard to bear, but our job is ultimately to, to be faithful to God first. I want to see an example of this in the New Testament. Turn with me to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6. Paul writing to the church in Galatia, he says here in verse 1, chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch in yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. There will come times in our friendships that we will need to help a friend who is, a, who is caught in sin. And these first five verses here in Galatians 6 is a picture for us there. It's a, really a picture, I, I read this in a commentary a couple years ago, a picture of a fisherman who is out in a boat and in his exuberance to get a fish, he has fallen overboard and is now caught in the fishing net. And he's dangling between the safety of the boat and the deadliness of drowning the water. And you see it from the shore. And, and you go out, you, you, you're, you're trying to get out there to rescue him because they can't save themselves. And if they're an experienced fisherman, how will they react? They probably won't want any help. They're going to be very embarrassed that this happened. They'll reject you in some ways from freeing them and entangling. I've got this. I've got this. I, I can get out of this. They're probably embarrassed. So that's the picture here as Paul says this in our lives as we go to someone. Paul begins in, in verse 1 with the word caught. And it indicates that this sinful behavior is a pattern for them. This particular sin, in a sense, has now had the upper hand in their life. It's a sinful habit, a behavior that, that they will not be able to overcome on their own. They need outside help. And we need to not be quick to criticize or, or afraid to confront. As Christian friends, we take a responsibility as those who are spiritual, he says there in verse 1. What that means is those who live by the Spirit. It's not some super spiritual group of elite Christians. No, these are ordinary Christians who are seeking to follow God, who are filled and controlled by the Spirit. And what's the goal in this verse? 
It says we are to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The word for restore here is katarizdo, which refers to a term used to setting a dislocated bone back into its place. Have any of you ever dislocated a bone? It feels great, right? It's painful, extremely painful. Because very simply, the bone is not where it should be. I don't have any medical terms, but that's what it is. It it wasn't designed to be there. So to put that bone back in place, it will most definitely cause pain. Folks, it's a healing pain. That means when we as friends come to confront, we should know that it will be painful. But our confronting must be from a place to cause them to change with healing as the main goal. Conformity to Christ is our aim. So if we are walking by the Spirit, then we'll be in the right frame of mind to come to our friend and correct them with God's word, with love and care and gentleness. Paul also warns us in verse 1, he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And this is practical advice here. We won't be able to carefully confront someone if we think that we're not capable of sinning that similar way. We cannot approach them if we think, I am above that sin. Because if we do, then our superiority will come through and we'll destroy, we won't restore. We shouldn't say, I can't believe that you would do that. How could you? Because that sounds as if we are are unable to sin in that way. And friends, I don't know if this is news to you, but you're capable of sinning that same way. There have been times where I've sat across from someone in counseling and hearing what they've experienced and then hearing their sin And my heart wants to race the conclusion that I could never do that. By the grace of God, I haven't committed that sin. My hope is not in me. It's in God. We are all capable of that sin. So we come alongside this friend with humility. And Paul continues in verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ that Paul refers to? Well, you have to go back into chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is summed up in that. To love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love others. An example for that is how Christ has loved us. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So even though the whole Old Testament law could be summed up in the command of love, Christ demonstrated it for us by dying on the cross. He, he showed us what love truly is. And so we are to bear one another's burdens. And you cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to a burdened person. You stand in their shoes. 
and then putting your own strength under their burden so that you both carry it, so that the, the weight is now distributed between the two of you. It's lightening the load of the other person. This is friendship. A friend comes alongside and, and listens and understands and helps physically and emotionally and spiritually and take the burden of someone else. So as we desire to be a good friend, we cannot be afraid to bring godly correction when needed. It's our duty and our friendships. And I know it may be difficult, but it serves our friends. They may not like it, but, and they may run from us. They may, they may call us all sorts of names as they're leaving and defame us in some ways, but we need to be faithful. God will continue to be faithful with us. That leads me to my last point. Bad friends are self-absorbed. Good friends are faithful. The last one here kind of piggybacks on the, on the third point. Bad friends are self-absorbed. They, they only think of themselves. But good friends are faithful. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Many are this way. They, they proclaim their loyalty. But they're not that way. Human nature without the power of God is, is shallow and, and, and self-congratulatory. We, we try to build ourselves up. And this proverb is saying, when you find a true friend, when you find a faithful one, prize them. The gospel creates those rare people. Psalm 15, 4 says, And whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Faithful friends keep their promises even when it hurts. The other verse here you have listed is Proverbs 27, 17, one that I'm sure you're familiar with. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Bad friends avoid all friction. They, they avoid it because they don't want to be uncomfortable. But look at the verse again. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. When iron meets iron, it creates friction. There are times in friendship that a friend will harm you. But I believe there's a difference between someone being hurt and someone being harmed. Just like there's a difference between someone being loved and someone feeling loved. The truth is that a friend will inevitably hurt you with words that are respectful, true, and sometimes blunt. If you receive it, you will grow in wisdom and be better for it. Charles Spurgeon talked about this. What a, what a guy to be a friend with. I'd love to be friends with Charles Spurgeon. He says, it is no friendship that flatters, it is no small friendship that holds its tongue when it ought to speak, but it is true friendship that can speak a word at the right time and if need be, even speak so sharply as to cause a wound. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Good friends come alongside to bring correction for growth, become more like Christ. So what do we do with this sermon? What do we do with what I've just shared in the last 40 minutes? 
Well, here's the reality. There are men in this church, in this room right now, who feel that they're in a dead-end job. There are men here who have failed their wives and failed their children. There are men here who have allowed their work or their hobby to consume their lives and have pushed God and church and family and friends to the fringe. They struggle with temptations of, of sin all the while coming here week after week with no real friendships. And there are women here this morning who feel exhausted from their 24-7 duties as a mom, homemaker, part-time, full-time job outside of the home, and they feel desperately alone, starving for adult conversations. There's some women who, who are experiencing a major adjustment to life with, with a new life or even a life that's now gone. Some are moving from the career track to the mommy track and others who would give anything to give up their job to be home. Some who are struggling with marital issues. Some who are fighting a chronic illness. Others who feel the pain of their children's wayward lives. So right here, right this morning, there are men and women in this place who are made in the image of God, and they need a friend. There are people who are desperate for a, a flesh and blood relationship that can further point them to Jesus Christ. Sometimes those that are most in need are the ones who seem to be most mature. They're the ones that seem to be most balanced, who, who seem to have everything under control. We're all needy people. And so let's not become experts at in internalizing pain and deflecting offers from others to help. Let's be humble. Let's acknowledge our need. Let us be thankful to God for bringing us to a church family so that we could be faithful, good friends to those that we come in contact with. But where do we get the power to be a good friend. How can we do it? Well, the answer is found in the Gospel of John. It's a good book, isn't it? We find out the power behind being a good friend, and it's from Jesus. And he brings into clear light the joy of friendship and the power behind it. So John 15, just listen as I read. John 15, 12 through 17. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. See, he's, he's letting him in right now. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And God now, and as Jesus is saying, can now be understood through friendship. God was a friendship. The Christian God, the biblical God, is a friendship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Knowing and loving one from all eternity. And he made us in his image. Meaning that we need friendship. So don't you dare sit there and say, I don't need a friend. 
You're lying to yourself. God made us this way. But we've turned from him. We betrayed him. You know that. You've been betrayed by a friend. And what happens after betrayal, after you betrayed someone else, the friend turns away from you usually, right? They leave. But here's Jesus, the perfect friend. A beautiful picture of friendship. He doesn't leave, he stays. He doesn't run. No, he takes our place. He is the perfect friend who's faithful and truthful and loving and forgiving. He is the perfect friend that takes our wounds upon himself. Instead of inflicting them back on us, he takes them for us. What a wonderful friend we have in Jesus. On the cross, he lost his friendship with God so that we could have friendship with God. Jesus on that tree experienced what we should have experienced. He is the perfect friend. He led us in. Because of Christ, we have the privilege to have friends here on earth and to be friends with God. And because of the gospel, we can experience real, genuine friendship on earth. And one of the things that I love about the local church, about this church in particular, is that I can be friends with so many that I would normally not really be around in life. You know, I have, I have many friends here that are nothing like me in a human way. But now because of the cross, we have a deep connection, an everlasting one. And Jesus breaking into the lives of all kinds of people, corporate people and creative people, black and white, young and old, downtown and back country. Suddenly people who you would never give the time of day to now fellowship with you on a weekly basis. People who come from drastically different backgrounds now hold the strongest bond because of their love for the Savior who loved them and saved them. I'm going to end by this last quote here by C.S. Lewis, who puts it bluntly for us of friendship. He says this, We think we have chosen our peers, but for a Christian there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you from one another. Amen? God placed you here in this church. And we have the glorious privilege of building friendships here that we've, we need so vitally for our lives. And it's all because of the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege we have every week to come join our friends, our family, really. And I thank you for giving us this radical, cosmic act of friendship that we can have with the God of the universe. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he showed us what friendship is, what commitment is, what love is. And he so radically befriends us that we now can become friends with others and become the friends that we need to be. 
Now we recognize that we're going to be friends with all sorts of people. But with the Christian faith, there's a tremendous potential to be deep friends with people who are like us in the most important area. And we thank you for the possibility that we have to have these relationships with one another. And we ask you, God, to remake our friendships in your image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to to truly be what you made us to be, friends walking together with you and one another. Help us to love one another. Help us to forgive one another. Help us to be faithful and loyal to one another. And God, I, I pray that we would be good stewards of our time on earth and with our friendships. God, if we're here this morning and convicted by our lack of friendships, may we seek out people to build our lives around. They would seek to be transparent with one another. And we recognize, God, the risk that is involved in that. What if they walk away? What if they abuse that relationship? What if they say all sorts of things about me? God, help us not to be driven and Afraid, help us to trust in you. Father, I pray that we will treasure our faithful friends, that we love them and care for them and pray for them. And I thank you for the privilege we have to know you and to have these relationships here on earth. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.